and welcome to another episode of our podcast, DBSG, the Discipleship Bible Study Group, where we take a look at issues of Christianity and faith and the Bible and take a look at them through the lens of science, technology, and psychology. Uh, I am Brother Rob, and I'm here with our regular host, Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, hello, hello. And today we're going to have a very interesting uh, episode for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about miracles and how sometimes the world brings us challenges where when we feel that we've done everything we can, we've used up all our faith, all our energy, all our hope, we get surprised and or get blessed, as some would say, with miracles. And today we're going to have a personal testimony about a particular interesting, very interesting and dynamic guest who experienced such a phenomenon. So I'm going to hand it over to Brother Fred, who's going to give us a little bit more about our guest today and our topic of miracles. Thanks, Brother Rob, for that wonderful introduction. And this is an exciting um, podcast that we're doing. And I, I usually have about a week to uh, prepare. Brother, Brother Rob has a week and, you know, it, it's not a lot of time and we have to spend a lot of energy and, and momentum to get this thing going, but this is probably one of the most exciting ones we ever put together because it, this one touches all our lives. And Brother Robbie gave you the topic, miracles. And we have the very special guest we have tonight is Brother Mike. Uh, he, I work with Brother Mike at one of my sites and um, he's just an amazing human being who experienced his own personal miracle and this is an amazing testimony listeners you're gonna love what he has to say so without any further ado here we go brother mike how you doing i'm doing well welcome to the show i'm doing very well <laughs> welcome to the show so All mike, right. what do you want to say how, how, how did you get your miracles hmm, i guess um i could probably start from the beginning Yes, sir. I was, I was in a completely different line of work than I am today. Um, I used to, I had a retail computer business and I was fixing computers and um, I get a phone call from what I thought was a a telemarketer that asked me if I was interested in doing some medical work and nothing ever came of it. I never heard anything from them. And then I get a phone call from these people from the city who do this telehealth stuff. And, um, they connect me with the local hospital here and I'm doing installations of telehealth equipment into patients' homes right after they get out of the hospital, which was, it was really, really interesting. I had never, never experienced anything quite like this before. Um, I was kind of, I'm used to dealing with people. So the, the people part of it was easy. Um, I didn't necessarily I wasn't expecting like people with issues, like with medical issues. Like I, I had never, that was never, I never confronted that before. And um, it was 
not in my wheelhouse and I didn't necessarily know what to do with it, but I knew how to talk to people. So I, I had no problem. It was an easy kind of transition. I do this for a while. The nurses and the patients and everybody seems to love me. I get really friendly with patients. I have them to this day that call me. I have a 94-year-old guy that um, calls me, calls himself the pest Mel, you know, and he, he actually knows where I live. He stops by my house and um, he lives close by and it, it's a wonderful thing. Another patient gave me a boat. Um, other pa yeah, I know, right? It's just um, a it real was, boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I went to the I went to his house to to do this installation for the guy's father, right? And I saw this boat sitting in the backyard, and I needed a motor for one of my boats. And I said, hey, "What are you doing with the boat?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, my kid, it was ours, and we're giving it away. I can't use it no more. I'm eighty something years old, and my kid's like." you know, in his 60s or whatever, and we don't use it. He goes, uh, leave me your name and number. If it falls through, I'll give you a call. A couple of days later, the kid calls me, and he's like, you want the boat? And I said, yeah, I don't really want the boat. I just need the motor. He's like, listen, you got a hitch? He goes, you come to my house Thursday, you tow the boat, the motor, the whole thing out of here. Take the whole thing, I'll sign the papers. It's all yours. And I went, really? All right, I'll see you Thursday. So I, I still have the boat to this day. Wow. The mother called me a few years back to tell me that the father died. So I had like, a, I made like connections with these people. And um, I made a great connection with the staff, uh, so much so that when it started to come to an end, because they had an issue with the people that were supplying the equipment. And, you know, it's always, I, I just do the work. You know, I, I don't know nothing. I'm just a subcontractor. I don't know nothing. Um, it got to the point where they said, you need to do this. You know, this is what you should be doing. And. I was like, no, no, not really. You know, I'm not really, um, I don't like people, you know. I mean, I'm good with them, but I don't like them, you know. And 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 really, and generally, I didn't. I, I, I honestly, I didn't. I wanted their money, you know. I, I wasn't looking to be friends with them. Um, but, you know, I, I became friends with them. Um, my, my business, for some reason, I attracted a lot of old people. <laughs> like these people would come and just hang out all day. And I was, I guess I'm really good with old people and uh, not good with kids, animals, and old people. And, um, they seemed to love me. And we had some people that wouldn't leave they would come and sit and just stay all day. Like we were like, you know, the, the meeting group, you know, for uh, old people, you know, like their <laughs> day class or something.
like their daycare. Yeah. And, and that guy, right, unfortunately, that guy, I tried to help out the best I could. Again, these people, we became, like, close. I, as I'm doing this work, my father gets sick. Um, he ends up having um, skin cancer that goes crazy. Um, it started out as a pimple on his face, and it blew up into an egg in a, about 30 days. Wow. Uh, it was yeah. insane. I had never, mind you, I had never really experienced a lot of this. Um, a guy that I was friends with, I took him back and forth to his, uh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. So <laughs> where my store was, above my store had a, an apartment of a guy that lived there for 20 years who had no friends, he got cancer. I took him back and forth to his doctor's appointments. I put him in the shower, I cleaned him, I fed him, I did everything for him that I possibly could, that I knew of what to do at the time because I had no idea what I was doing, not a clue. I. No, I had never experienced anything like this in my life, you know, never was a caregiver of any sort. So, uh, you know, I had an idea of what to do with my father, but not um, chemo, radiation, surgeries, everything. We couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And no matter how much I tried, and how much I did, and no matter who I knew, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't saving him. Like that wasn't, that was not part of the, wasn't part of the plan. So Mike, do you feel with your father that um, you had 130% exhausted every medical uh, avenue that you and your family could have taken for your dad? The guilt that I felt was just unbelievable. Like, I felt guilty that I missed. I missed something. That something along the line, I missed. I, I could have did something different. I could have did something else. I could have added something. I could have taken something away. Maybe I pushed him too much. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But he was all for it. Like, we weren't, I wasn't in this alone. Like, everything was, you know, do you want to do this? Yes. So we did. And, um, yeah, I, um, I didn't know any better at the time. So I did what I, this goes on for a year. A, literally a full year of everything and um, hospitals and in and out of everything, just and the brutality of, of what they do. Did you believe in miracles back then? I don't think 
I, I, of course I did, right? Like, you know, I, I always thought, you know, I had always, I didn't think like that. You know what I mean? I, like, that wasn't my, that wasn't my, my train of thought. My train of thought was looking at it the wrong way. And, and the same thing with my own situation was looking at it, the being, being pushed into looking at it the wrong way, uh, which I didn't, but I did do some things they shouldn't have. Um, yeah, I didn't think, like I relied too heavily on, on medical science and what they were saying, you know what I mean? So yeah, I wasn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I was aware as I am today of how and why and what happens and, and yeah. Um, no, I wasn't even on that path at all. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily I don't even think I was like faithful um, or believing as much as I do as time went on, as things changed. So, um, so what happened as you were proceeding through these so uh, rigorous this, treatments with your dad? This, it was just, uh, it was, it was it was horrible it was brutality and um at the same time um like within a couple of months um his sister got diagnosed and she went and then we had six months and she was like six months and done who was his like biggest cheerleader while we were going through this, you know, would call him regularly and come to see him and tell him, you know, that, you know, things are going to be okay. We're just going to go about this and listen to what they say and, and you're going to be fine. You know, six months later, she gets diagnosed and uh, day apart. So fast forward six months, um, chemo, radiation surgery, everything for my father in and out of, hospitals, nursing homes, everything. He gets an infection in his brain and it was just, I mean, like if I, there was nothing, I don't think there was anything left. Um, and yet I was not, I was determined to keep him on. I would not, I wouldn't pull the plug. I wouldn't, it took everything they could do to get me to uh, and my mother to go ahead with hospice. It, it was so much that um, when he was in the emergency room of the hospital that I kind of sort of worked for, they had all these people come and meet with me that were just passion that they had and the willingness to listen to me and was amazing 
And they basically said to me, you know, you're one of us and we're going to take care of him as if he was one of us. And I was like, I don't even know what to say. A couple of days later, um, this is like on a Thursday or a Friday. His sister passes away on Monday. He passes away on Tuesday. And now we've got back-to-back funerals. Um, A following week after that, his his brother-in-law, his sister's husband died. Another sister, separate sister, which was, that was three in a row in like 10, 11 days. And I was a mess. I didn't know what to do. Went into just a place I had never been before. And it was bad. It was bad enough that my girlfriend of many, many, many years said that you need to pull yourself together and do something, uh, you know, because this is your business is going downhill. This whole thing is falling apart. I'm getting tired of it. And we're talking about this is going on for like almost 18 months, 16 months, 17 months. And I didn't give a crap. I was like, bye bye. You know, um, I got, I'm going to be over here in my hall, in my corner, and being depressed. And, um, you know, I go talk to somebody else. So I kind of, Started, you know, coming out of a out of a dump, slump, and whatever. And in the same, at the same time, my business is going downhill because it got all neglected, and I'm losing this contract. And the um, nurses are like, "You, you need to go and go to school and and do something in the medical field." You need to be like in direct patient care. You need to be in direct contact with these people because you're really, really good at all our patients love you. The whole staff loves you. Like you're just, you know, you're great with people. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Now I'm really not, you know? You know I just lost three people in like 11 days. You're crazy. I'm not doing nada. And um, um, my business went to like 50 bucks a day and um, – I lost that contract, and it was like, I gotta go. Guess I gotta do something. My girlfriend says, if you go to school, I'll, I'll support you. I'll figure out how to pay for stuff. And meanwhile, she's got a great job. Um, thank God. And um, you know, if you really want to do this, you know, go ahead. And I had to think about it for a while, and. Finally, I said, you know what, maybe I, maybe I like this, you know, maybe I'll like this and, um, I'll see. I kind of like, 
I liked dealing with the people, you know, dealing with the patients. I wasn't really like ever exposed to like so many people, cancer and all these issues and they're coming out of the hospital for this, that, and the other thing. And like I had my, my patients that I could set my watch to because literally every three months they were back on. So it was, you know, it was a regular thing. And I went to school and I did surprisingly really, really well. I was like amazed. I was shocked. I was, I shocked myself that I did as well as I did. And when I took the, the big test, the state exam, I did even better than I really expected. And I was like, wow. So I guess I'm smarter than I thought. And what career field are we talking about here, Mike? Um, I'm a medical assistant. All right. And um, I, I, I didn't really know what that was either. Like, I didn't know what it was. I figured I'll deal with some people. You know, I'll, I'll deal with some patients and I'll tell a couple of stories and jokes. I really kind of felt like I would be good at helping people. Thought that I could bring levity to the situation. You know? that would kind of get me through everything, you know. When I found out, when I like, did an externship and I found out, like, wow, there's some crazy things that go on. <laughs> and then I start looking for a job and I, I'm looking around and everybody's like, dude, you're like, should be retiring in like five years, you know. Like, I go on an interview for a, a bunch of jobs. I don't really get hired. And um, I go to this interview of where I'm working now. And the next day, the guy calls me. He's like, we love you. We want you. And, like, you know, we're going to give you an offer and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, really? And, like, big company, great company and benefits and all this great stuff. And I'm like, you know, Easy hours, no weekends, and a paycheck. And a big one, but a paycheck. Like, I don't go fight people to get my money. So it was, it was intriguing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to. I get hired three days after I get hired, my mother goes into the hospital. And this is all within a two year, two and a half year span of my, of my tragic three deaths. And my mother goes in in August and I start work um, the 28th and goes in like, she goes in like August 30th with some weird pneumonia issue. And again, not necessarily knowing. Now I got a little better grip of what's going on, but still not a good working knowledge of like the medical field. But I got a better idea, you know. So now, not only do I have a better idea, I got a bunch of doctors that I could ask questions that are more than willing to entertain me. So forget about it you know the the hospital was not happy when i went to go see my mother because all i did was oh i want to see this report i want to see this i want to see that give me everything you know i would bring it back to where i worked 
I'd let them look at it and say, you know, what are we looking at here? Which was, you know, a blessing in its. So now I have other people to judge stuff. I don't have to necessarily listen to what they're telling me. I can figure out for myself whether they're right, you know, and are, am I doing the right thing this time, you know? So that's where my, my, my goal was. Ah, the one thing that I'm leaving out of all of this is after my father passes, I was sitting in my mopey state one Sunday morning and I started flipping through the channels and Joel Osteen. I don't know what it was that I watched that I saw, but I started watching more, like every Sunday, right? At the same time, I have satellite in my car, so I put his radio on. I was in my car a lot, so I would listen to these messages over and over and over again. And, I, and I'm listening to the psychology, and I'm thinking of the psychology of what he's saying and, and how he's saying it. And I'm thinking about what he's saying, and I went, wow, yeah, he might be on to something. But you weren't totally convinced just yet, right? No, 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 no. But I'm, I'm still like, you know, me and my mother would listen to it, and I would religiously go to the cemetery. They, my mother went into the hospital every Sunday with my mother. So we went every single Sunday since my father passed away. And um, never missed a day unless it was like pouring rain. And... We would listen to these messages in the car and everything and talk about it. It started to change my thinking about the way things happen and what they had, the reasons why they happen. And I wasn't, you know, and again, you know, but I, I'm good because, you know what, I, I, afraid to get this job and it worked and I got the job. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. You people are really crazy. But thank you because, you know, somebody's taking a chance on. And now my mother goes in and now I'm like, you know what? It certainly can't hurt, right? To throw a couple prayers in here and there. I'll figure out how to do it. I watch a lot of Joel. I got this pretty much covered. And then I meet some other people that um, go to a couple of churches over here. And they were interesting. And we started talking and um, also really, really helpful. Amazing, amazing people. With my mother now, I have all these factors um, and I'm going to save my mother. And then it dawned on me that that's not my job. Not my job, not my responsibility. It's not up to me. I, who am I to even make that call? So I had to let it all just go. And I went, you know what, 
I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be good with whatever happens because one of these messages is you got to be good with, with everything. And I, I, I was like, you know what? I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this. It sounds like you were exercising faith. How did that faith help you with your, with, with your mother? Go, I would go and I would, I would sit by her bedside and I would pray and I would say, listen, if this is what we're going to do, we're going to, if it's, if it's going to happen, I know it's not going to happen because of all this stuff. You know, funny thing, right, was the guy in the room next to her. And then she's in the ICU, never left the ICU for months. The guy in the room next to her, I don't know what was wrong with this guy, but he was in dire straits. I think it was his wife and a bunch of other people that came up and they were going like i had never seen it in person like that before and we're praying over him everything like i thought they were exercising him i don't know what and and i was amazed and exercising as a chasing out demons or (laughs) but you know we got to talking right and you know, one of the things a woman says, she goes, my God is big. And I went, wow. And you know what? I've heard that before. And our God is bigger than all of this. And I went, ah, that makes perfect sense. And then I went, you know what? All right. So I'm good with whatever happens. Um, I know that I did what I, what was in my, what was in my realm, I, I did. And um, I was good with it. I, I was keeping her alive. I was keeping her in the ICU. Um, according to some of the doctors, I only had a few little minor issues to kind of hurdle over, but they were possible. So I was, I was so good, right, that uh, this is the best part. <laughs> They came in and they're like, listen, this isn't looking good, right? Everything, and my, and granted, I looked at some of this stuff and it really didn't look good. It really looked bad. Her oxygen went down to literally nothing, left and right, tanking, right? So I had to come to the decision that if she does code, I'm not gonna, I'm DNR because you know, my mother was like 80 pounds. Bro- no way. Brother Mike, what does uh, DNR mean for all our do not, re- out there? Do not resuscitate. Which mean means they won't perform CPR on her if her heart stops. So Or, or any other ex- extent of medical procedure. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Any, any, any life-saving effort is really what it comes down to. Okay. And I... That one took me a lot, but I knew that that's kind of where I was. You know, I was at this point. And then things started even going more south where, like, a lot of stuff wasn't working anymore. A lot of things that we were doing wasn't working. So they had her on so many suppressors and 
stuff to bring up her blood pressure, stuff to do everything your body's supposed to do normally was being drug-induced because of the drugs. We cut back the last drug, right? And they, they called us up and like, listen, you should be here because when we cut this, probably not going to make like more than eight hours. I was like, all right, great. You know, not great, but I'll be right there and don't do anything until I get there. I get there, they, they cut it and we're waiting. And the next morning, things start getting better. <laughs> little by little, right? Things start getting better. But from removing all of the drugs, right? The vital signs start all getting better. And, and granted, this happens, and they usually call it the last throws and all this. And my mother lasted two more months. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, two more months, right? <laughs> and it was just, I was like, thank you. And and if you're going to, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're going to, it's up to you, God. You're the one that's going to control this. I'm out. I'm up to you. Right? I did what I did. I did my job. I I kept my promise to my mother, you know, that I would never pull the plug. And me, mom, fighting with all the doctors and everybody, and my sister and everybody. I haven't talked to my sister since this all transpired. Everything was normal when I left. Like all her numbers were good, her vitals were good. So I I was I was you know, and I would do this right. I would be, I'd go I'd go to work. I'd leave work. I'd go see her at lunchtime. Because that's how close we were. And um, then from lunch, I would go back to work. After work, I would go straight back to the hospital. I would stay there till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, come home, eat, and then sleep and do it all over again every day. On a Sunday, I get a phone call from my sister, and she's like, you better get over here. And I'm like, oh, no. Now what? You know? I get there, my mother's lights are out, like all the machines are off. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? Like, I was just, I was just here. Like, I spoke to cardiology. I spoke to these people. What is going on here? And they're like, her heart just stopped. And I was like, I'm not buying that. And so now I'm thinking my sister, yank the plug and and it turns out that her heart just stopped and um i guess she was waiting for me to leave the room so um it, it sounds as if she passed peacefully oh yeah i don't know all, about how peaceful you would want but loved one right i did my job and i i'm not guilty this time at all you know not at all i kept my promise to her I, and it was, we both had to say, we're going to keep each other alive if that's what it takes, you know, because I value life. I don't, I don't believe in putting people out to the pasture. Um, I don't. And I don't believe in pulling their meds. I don't believe in cutting it. I don't believe in hooking them up with a bunch of morphine and letting them go. I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, I think it's wrong. Now, now, Brother Mike, you, you. I'm sure you were totally devastated all over again because this is mom's, right? And yeah, but I was good. I was really, really at peace with it. 
It's so much more so than I was with my father. I mean, I was devastated. Don't get me wrong, right? Of course. But I was really okay. Like, not, not um, completely a mess like I was with my father. And I think it was because of my whole interaction with, you know, a higher power that changed my, my thinking, you know? And here's the, the kicker. So a couple of weeks after my mother um, passes and the funeral is over, we go out to dinner. Oh, geez, yeah, this happened before. We didn't go out because of my mother. We went out to dinner, and I choked at dinner. And um, I never choked on any on food. Choked on food. I never choked on anything. I could eat rocks, you know. I, I was like, yeah, I would eat steaks and bones and everything. I, I never, ever, I never had a problem eating anything ever for any reason. Now I'm kind of like, what is going on, you know? And now I'm talking to the doctors at work saying, like, what the... And they're like, you're under so much stress that your cortisol levels are probably through the, through the roof. Like, all these hormones in your body are just raging right now. And that's what's causing all of this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 maybe, you know, but okay, you know, it makes sense, you know, because this was crazy stress. And, and then, yeah, yeah, I don't know, that was before. Then my mother passes, and um, now I'm having more and more trouble eating. I, I can't swallow food. I can't get stuff down. And I'm talking to doctors I work with. They send me here. They send me there. One of the doctors that we work with, he sends me here. They don't see anything. Send me there. They don't see anything. Then they send me for this x-ray. Uh, it's called a barium swallow test, where they watch food go down your throat as you eat it. And a liquid, basically, is what it was. Meanwhile, I go in, I do this. The guy doing the x-ray goes, oh, my God. <laughs> Don't leave. Stay right here. Don't go away. I'm like, what? what? I'm not going nowhere. What do you mean? He runs across the hallway and grabs the doctor who referred me, right? And they happen to be right across the hall from each other. He looks at it. And he looks at me and goes, I don't know what that is, but it looks like somebody's squeezing your throat closed. And I went, what? What are you talking about? He goes, really, I don't know what it is, but it literally looks like somebody's got their hands wrapped around your esophagus and it's squeezing your closed. And I went, oh, all right, now what? I go back. They're like, now you need to go to an ENT. They got to shove a pipe down. They got to see what's going on. Great. I make an appointment. That guy cancels. This is the beginning of Mr. Frog's wild ride. Right here. The guy cancels. The pulmonologist asked me what happened. 
did I go to that meeting? Did I go and get it done? And he said, no, the guy canceled. And he's like, what? He goes, nobody can cancel. He goes, that's not happening. Wait one minute. He pulls out his cell phone. He calls the director of thoracic surgery at one of the biggest hospitals around. And he says, you're going to be in his office tomorrow morning. And I went, okay, I'm going to his office, right? I'm driving all the way west. I go, we meet with this guy um, to set up an appointment for um, a uh, an endoscopy where they're going to shove this thing down my thing and take a look. He looks at me and he hand, pull, reaches into his pocket and hands me two business cards. And then I look at them and one, is, one says oncology and one says radiation. And I went, what? This, this, this is for cancer people. And he's like, you have cancer, my friend. I went, you just met me. We, you didn't even do nothing. You got no biopsy. You got no nothing. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> and he's like, I've been doing this for 25 years. <laughs> you have cancer. And I went, no way. You're crazy. Oh, is he right? Holy crap, was he right? So, Mike. How how bad did it get for you? It was 10 centimeters, which equates to about four inches, that was completely wrapped around my esophagus, starting at C6, C7, which is all the way down by your clavicle, inoperable. <laughs> yeah. At stage three, and I was like, "Why? I don't. I I got. I'm just getting over my mother. I don't have time for this." And what does stage three mean, uh, Mike? Um, it means that you're pretty much not looking good. So. They stage cancer by its progressiveness. And stage one means it's just kind of starting. Stage two is it's kind of moving. Stage three is it's taking root. Stage four, go home and make arrangements. I just looked at this and went, holy crap, I'm in trouble. Mind you, my mother is now deceased from kind of the results of throat cancer 25 years ago or 20 years ago that damaged her throat is why she was getting pneumonia and you know why she ended up eventually passing so now i'm looking at something that i already saw you know, I saw it with my mom. Now I'm like, oh boy, I'm, I'm not looking. This isn't looking good. And after with my father, 
I had spent so much time reading about cancer and learning about cancer that I know in some cases stuff that doctors don't even, even they don't even know is out there yet because they don't, they have basically four methods, right? It's chemo, radiation, surgery, and there was something else, and, and or three, and that's it. That's all they do. Because saving you doesn't make them money. You know, it doesn't make money to keep you alive. It's better to keep you sick and treat you with all kinds of crap. So I was against what I was basing. Um, I was against the machine because I was I saw what it just did to my father. And what I had learned about all of this was more devastating than anything else is the long-term side effects of cancer treatment, of chemo and radiation. You know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, if you make 20 years, you're, the issues that you develop because of what they did 20 years ago is is bad. It's not good. Treatment, cancer treatment is barbaric in this country. It's really bad. Um, I became very much a naturalist once my I learned about my father and I tried to do things about my father and I learned how much food plays a part in our lives and in our bodies and and food is our medicine and there's so much that you can do without and there's millions of people walking around today that have been able to survive cancer and reverse it by natural means there's don't believe anything that anybody else tells you they'll all tell you it can't be done there's so many people out there that do it between prayer and their their diets and their attitudes and you know putting yoga all of this stuff plays such a part the mind the 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 mind body like is that it's such a it's such like a balancing beam. Like it's so, they're so intertwined and so connected that it, it's overlooked. That's how, you know, and it's so simple and it's overlooked, you know, that the two of them are connected. But Brother Mike, when I saw you at your office, though, you told me something that was so yeah. compelling about your yeah. illness. Six months of chemo and radiation. And, you know, my doctor, when I first met her, she's like, I'm going to cure you and I can cure you. And I'm like, you're crazy. This is, you know, this, esophageal cancer has a nominal 3% survival rate. People with esophageal cancer do not survive. They don't. And when they do, there's, there's so few 
that it's not, you know, it, it, they're not enough to make up a, a handful, you know? And the ones that they do this barbaric surgery to are even worse shape than the ones that, you know, try to survive it. So I, I do get quote unquote cured for two months. <laughs> um, after the first six months of chemo and radiation, right, uh, where it was stage three, um, I have no sign of disease in my body. So I'm like, great, I'm good. I go back to work. Then all of a sudden one day I'm trying to drink some water. It ain't going down. I'm trying to eat. Nothing's going down. I got a problem again. This ain't working. I go and get a PET scan. Off. It came back. With a rain, it basically all I did was piss it off. All I did was make it rain because now it went from my throat to my kidney, my liver, my spleen, my lymph nodes, my lungs, just basically from my chin to my waist. Every place it could go, it just took hold and started going crazy. And nobody, now I can't eat, I can't drink, I can't get anything down. I'm in and out of the hospital all the time from dehydration and getting stuff stuck in my throat. They're constantly, you know, excavating stuff out of my throat. I, I want to go to get dilated. I want somebody to open me up so I can swallow again. Nobody will do it. Uh, I go to a big, big, big cancer center. And I go, they send me to the bigger office in Manhattan. The guy who is like the top doctor comes in, says, how you doing? This is my name. Look at my chart. Looks at my chart. He reads my PET scan, spins around his chair and goes, you need a miracle. Gets up out of his chair and walks out of the room. And... And I went, what? Wow. There you go. He did what? He just gets up and walks out? Walks out of the room. He says, you need oh. a miracle, and walks out of the room. And I looked at my girlfriend. She looked at me, and we said, um, what just happened here? I said, I think he told me I'm going to die. And she just went, no, no. And went, no, I'm not, I'm not accepting that. But, you know, yeah, this isn't looking good. Um, yeah, that was pretty rude. Um, yeah. And, Very rude. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rude. And then they sent me back to their oncologist who was ruder or just as rude as he was. They, they were not interested in anything. You know, they basically were looking at me as... Yeah, not. Now, what what percentage did they give you? Oh, your now, chances. I'm at now. I'm at stage four, with it progressing through my body like wildfire. It's now going to every lymph node in my chest. Every lymph node. Once it's in your lymph system, your lymph, your lymph 
is what moves fluid around your body, right? So all it needs is one cell to now move someplace else amongst my body to find a new place to roost, which is what it was doing. It was just moving from place to place and getting bigger. Like I would go and get a PET scan. They would beat me down for three months of chemo, 24 hours a day for four days a week. And it was, I was sick. I was throwing up. I was sick. I couldn't basically, um, they were just throwing everything at me because they ran out of everything else, you know? Wow. And I think they were so convinced that they were going to be able to keep me alive that if I survived what they would do to me, then I guess I would be okay, you know? Meanwhile, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my feet, you know, all kinds of things, all kinds of other issues have happened, which is why I'm so against this. But I couldn't swallow. So I had no, if I can't feed myself, I have no way of giving my body the nutrients that it's going to need to fight this cancer. It would be impossible. So I had no, I couldn't get it down. Now, Brother Mike, when I saw you in your office, and this is what really caught my attention, mm -hmm. is how much, I'm not sure if it was that oncologist or another doctor, mm -hmm. but you said they quantified your survival rate. Yeah, yeah. Tell the audience what your survival rate was. Yeah, 3%. 30%? No, 3 13%? Three that's my Spanish <laughs> brother Rob I have yeah. I'm in the medical field for 35 years I have never heard of any doctor giving someone a three percent chance I've never yeah. heard of such a thing in January of last year they ran out of chemo um yeah, I know. You ran out of chemo, right? How do you run like, out of chemo? Yeah. <laughs> it means, you got to order some more from Kmart? No, that means that I tried and failed everything on the list. Wow. That's what that means. They, there was nothing else that they could give me that they didn't try already. Meaning I'm done. Like, there, we have nothing else for you. You know, I'm sorry. Which was really funny because this is where it gets really interesting. I, I, I remember this conversation so vividly because it makes me smile. The PA says to me, we're going to try something, right? We're going we're gonna to switch you over to immunotherapy and we're going to see if this works. Since we got nothing else. Um, we think it might, but we're not sure. But nothing is going to happen right away, okay? This is going to take a very, you know, it's going to take time before we see any kind of um, changes, you know, before we see anything happening. Don't expect anything. And, I, I, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm about to die anyway, so I'm good with whatever you got. Give me, you know. Let's go, let's give it a shot because my next trip is, you know, we're going to Mexico and I'm going to try a whole bunch of money. I get one treatment, the very first treatment 
the the very first one. Two weeks later, I have a PET scan. The PET scan comes back ninety percent resolution on almost every site in my body. So everything went from I went from it being literally everywhere to it all shrinking to ten percent. And my How next, did that happen? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um my next pet scan, I'm like, ah, okay, let's see what happens. Meanwhile, now I'm like, okay, I got something working. It all works. Like if I put this all together, I got something that works. And um, my next, my next pet scan was even more amazing. And my next one after that. And my next one after that. And I've had four in the last year with almost a hundred percent resolution on all of my spots except for one spot that just it's shrinking it hasn't gone away completely but it is little by little moving away which is good enough so um what you're trying to say brother mike is that one treatment yeah changed everything yeah. or did you receive a miracle? Well, that's where the rest of this, you know, whole thing gets, where now I'm questioning all kinds of, you know, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with this? That now, um, how am I supposed to impact other people? What am I supposed to do to repay this? And, you know, I've come to terms with a lot of other things, like my parents. If my parents were supposed to be alive, they'd still be here. If my friends were, again, were uh, supposed to be here, they'd still be alive, or they'd still be around, or whatever the case may be. In my position, I think, for a reason, who I'm supposed to, you know, somewhere along the line, I think I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do something for somebody that will see it, will, it will change their perspective. I, I think that's what I'm looking to do is to change somebody's, you know, everything has a part. I'm not saying medical science is, is not, it all has a part, but there's so much more to your being than just um, those things. Healing happens through attitude, through faith. Yeah, medical science has, you know, has something to do with it. I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with it, but I'm also not saying, you know, you can't, you can't abuse your, you can't drink six quarts of vodka and then go, oh, why do I have a bad liver? You know, 
It doesn't, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that, you know? So, you know, you have to be a little proactive too, you know, you have to help a little bit too. You know, it's no. not, and it's not all up to God. God is not, he's not going to be go. he's not going to go, okay, you can still drink those six quarts because you believe in God, you know, I'm going to save you. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that either, you know. It just, it doesn't work like that. Um, it, finding the right way to, um, that's why I, I, I try to be, I, I try not to be miserable, just in general, you know? Um, if I have a pretty good outlook, um, maybe people ask me why. And, you know, then I can say, well, this is what happened to me. And this is why I think this is what happened to me. Brother and Mike, I have uh, some interesting, uh, interesting revelation that while you were giving your amazing <laughs> testimony, the Holy Spirit wanted me to pass something on to you, which I'm going to do at the end of what I'm about to say. And, and, and you know, what you went through, I wouldn't wish that on any <laughs> enemy I may have ever had. I don't have any enemies in this world, but other than Satan itself, but um, just an amazing testimony. And, you know, I think, and this is the message I wanted to give all our listeners. I heard two things in Mike's amazing testimony. Before he became ill himself, he found Jesus, he found faith. And during his own trial, his own personal one, he exercises faith. And at the tail end of what happened to him, he didn't come out and say, oh, Dr. So-and-so, you healed me, and science is just the best thing ever. He, you heard it for yourself, listeners. Brother Rob, I'm sure you heard it too. He's, he basically says science has its place, but God healed me, you know, my faith healed me. And I want to bring up a few points about that, if I will. I wanted you to speak as... Um, as no, a, I, I, do, I am very long-winded. <laughs> no, sir. I, hey, this was your time. I wanted you to say as much as you wanted to. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend hates it all, man. I told <laughs> but Matthew 17, 20 says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith, faith as a grain of mustard seed you shall say unto this mountain remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you so what does that mean and one of the things we like to do we like to use science and psychology to look at things uh brother mike so i, I look at jesus as everything he said or did is 100% important. So the fact that he compared faith to a mustard seed is important. And everybody says, oh, it's because a mustard seed is so small. So if you have a faith at, at the size of a mustard <laughs> seed, you'll, you could do anything. Yes, he said that, but he really said so much more. I'm going to tell you why. 
Let's look at a mustard seed itself because I did. Mustard is one of the world's oldest spices, mustard seed, and condiments known to mankind. The American mustard consumption rate is the highest in the world. Its name is derived from the Latin words mustum ardens, meaning burning wines, and it is so named due to the unique flavor of the crushed seeds mixed with the wine grapes. Mustard seeds was known for its medicinal benefits before the popular culinary uses. Greeks used its paste to cure toothache, boost appetite, and improve blood circulation. More than 700 million pounds of mustard are consumed worldwide each year. Almost all parts of the plant are usable and the leaves are boiled and eaten as vegetables. They are very easy to grow and do not require much attention. But this is the number one reason why I feel a mustard seed, why Jesus was talking about a mustard seed. With the help of modern electronic techniques, scientists have found that the seeds have incredible power, and that's the reason they have been used as medicines since thousands of years. According to research, a small seed, only one millimeter in radius, generates a bioenergy field of 100 millimeter radius. These energy fields activate biochemical processes of the body and encourage healing processes. Because of the mustard's seeds bioenergy, just like the human energy field, the seeds help to keep us healthy and fit. Now, how did Jesus know all that? Because he's Jesus. He's our Lord, Lord and God and our Savior. So the mustard seed itself endowed of an amazing healing power or something so small. If you can contrast that to what brother Mike went through in his life and you listener, you doing it in your life, in your trials and tribulations, exercise that mustard seed of faith in your life. You can make some amazing things happen. Amen. Brother Rob. Amen. No, I think we got a great lesson today. And just another example of, you know, the power of faith and, you know, miracles. And you just never know. You know, that's why, you know, everybody takes time to study the Bible and focus on the Christianity because that's that's really where the power of life is. You know, it's a force behind what sustains us. So, you know, um, I'm so glad that, you know, Brother Mike took the time to visit uh, with us and share his story. I think it's a great story and very important story to hear. And I'm certainly glad to hear just for Brother Mike that you're doing well. Is that, are you doing well? Or are you? <laughs> so for the last year, <laughs> mm -hmm. I got, I got 100% positive scans, meaning wow. I got, as of right now, no sign of disease. How, well, granted, how long, Hallelujah. how long, how long has it been? It's been, it's been a, a year, and a I've been, and, and, and I, I'm still, I get an immunotherapy, I get a, you probably see it on TV, Keytruda, and mm. I get that, it's a tiny little bit uh, every three weeks, and um, we're already discussing, because I'm already itchy, 
you know, and mm-hmm. we're already discussing future. And right. yeah. um, I'm 100%, uh, I was 100% in the beginning of this, that there wasn't, I was not giving in, no way, I was going to do, I would do whatever I had to do. I, I, I give whatever I had to, I, I know I can do what I can do. I know God's going to do what he's got to do. If I'm going to be healed, I'm going to be healed. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm not going to neglect it. I am my girlfriend. She says, be happy and eating. And, and that's what my whole life has changed. Whatever happens, is going to happen and um because anything can happen i mean at any point anything can happen but right now life is good you're a happy man yeah oh you have no idea how happy. and i see you at work you're bubbly you're bouncy um joel said it a a a long time ago and i heard it again today he's saying that we have so much other crap going on in the world against us, right? Like every day you've got, you know, people at work against you, the guy cutting you off in traffic against you. Everybody is against you. Why be against ourselves? You know, why give ourselves, why put ourselves down? Why say I'm not good at this? Why say I can't do this? Why give yourself a negative connotation when you get so many other people can do that for you? You don't got you don't have to do that. And and I actually said that to a patient, and the guy looked at me like, "Wow, like, really?" And I I said to him, he said something about like I'll never be able to do. I said, "Don't." Don't think like that, you know, think you can do it. And, and if, if you try and nobody's saying to no, if nothing happens overnight, Einstein or Edison is a quote that I loved when I was in the computer business that they said, you know, you were inventing the light bulb. I think it was Edison. You invented the light bulb. You got a hundred light bulbs here that didn't work. And he says, no, I, he says, you have a hundred failures. He goes, no, I have a hundred things that I know don't work. So I know that 101, you know, it works. I don't, I'll figure it out, you know? So why? Well, Jesus works and he works for you. He worked for you, brother Mike and listener. Jesus will work for you also but you have to exercise what mike did that mustard seed of faith and the holy spirit oh, like, I, I told you at the now. very end <laughs> i told you at the very end what the holy spirit want me to pass on to you he wants you to start a ministry to help people who are struggling with cancer who may not even make it through cancer find their faith because there's something that's more important than even the healing and that's them finding their way back to Jesus, which is what you did. Okay? You are healed by your stripes. You are healed. But not everybody's going to get the healing they may want, but they can find Jesus. Because we all have to go, we all have our time in in the hourglass. 
And when that sand drops, that's our time to go. But you are going to do it as a, a man who loves Jesus. And I, Mike, I, I tell you what, you're a beautiful human being. I'm it's proud fun. to be your brother in Christ. You what days. about transferring to the new yes. cancer place? Woo! <laughs> there you go. See, God is already <laughs> making moves. That's funny you. you say that. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's, that's the message he wanted me to give you, and he's been prepping you for this the whole time, and he's taking you there because there are people who need the healing. They need to hear the truth, and you are no longer afraid to tell people the truth. You're not. Man, that's my Those problem. doctors were even afraid to tell you the truth, right? The doctor walked out, but you're not afraid to tell people the truth because, after all, God, Jesus himself, conquered death. So we don't have to be afraid of death. I'm not afraid of my mortality. I'm not. I'm sure, bro. I don't want to. Do, I, I'm not looking to go, though. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am. I am. I'm ready to go to heaven. Uh, I'm going to close this out in prayer. But before I do, I want to thank Brother Mike for joining us today as our special guest. His testimony was absolutely amazing. I, I don't know of anybody who've ever, me personally, that has ever gone through um, such tragedy. But, Brother Mike, I'll tell you what, um, you are a true saint. You are a true believer mm. in God. If, if I've ever wondered what a true believer in he God is. He should have met me 10 years ago. <laughs> is Brother Mike. <laughs> okay. So, any last words? Keep it quick, Brother Mike. Any last thing you no, want? No, I'm good. <laughs> well, thank it you was great. I, I had a great time. I really did. Thank you very much for uh, having me on. <laughs> Brother Rob, any last uh, words? No, I don't have any. No, it was a great session. So, uh, I'm glad we had Brother Mike uh, on the show. Well, with that, I want to uh, bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, Father God, I want to thank you, dear Lord, for standing on your word. And you gave us your word, Father God, that if we ever believed in you, you would never let us down, dear Lord. That does not mean, Father God, that we will be there physically uh, the way you may want us to, to, dear Lord. But what that does mean is if we have to come home, we're going to come home to you, Father God. So thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the air that we breathe. Thank you for being able to swallow, eat food. Thank you for being able to stand erect. Thank you, Father God, for having a clear conscience and a clear mind, dear Lord. Thank you for giving us everything, dear Lord. You are so, so wonderful, Father God, and we never, ever want to take your blessings for granted, dear Lord. So thank you for giving us our faith. Thank you for giving us Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who died for all of our sins, Father God. And we look forward to that great day where we're all in heaven, Father God, and don't have to worry no more about pain and, and torture and the enemy at all, dear Lord. But I want to thank you today for one special blessing that you put in all of our lives. Brother Mike. Thank you, for, thank you Jesus, for Brother Mike. And we ask all these wonderful things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Amen. And for the amen. listeners, you can, you can always reach us at uh, on any podcast where you get your local podcasts. Also check out our Facebook group. 
of Discipleship Bible Study Group, which is online, as well as uh, it, Twitter as well. I think we have a presence there. So Yeah, Twitter. Uh, we're on, uh, I believe, Spotify. We're on uh, iHeartRadio. We're yeah. all over the place. So look for DBS uh, Discipleship Bible Study Group. And please leave I'm a comment. In the computer industry, <laughs> I stay away from all social media. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, have a great uh, week, and we'll be back with another episode of the DBSJ.